loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome back to yet another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV Sports NBA podcast. I'm Kelly Bright and there hasn't been any New York basketball this week, but we still get to bring on both the Thomases because the people love them so much. I have Thomas Aiello and Thomas Quigley both with me today. I'm getting used to the name thing. I'm calling you guys by your last names. It's working. We got a good thing going on. Don't want to mess it up this late into the game. So we're just going to roll with it. And and with that, I'm going to get down to it. Bucks, Hawks, Hawks win 110-88 to tie the Eastern Conference final series at two apiece. The win and the final score mean nothing to the headlines that came out of this game. The biggest one being that Giannis Antetokounmpo is out with a hyperextended left knee. Don't really know when he's going to return. It looks like from the latest news that it wasn't, there wasn't any major tear, which is good news, but we still aren't sure when he's going to be back. And for a Bucks team that just looked awful in this past game, not good news, not what you want uh, going into a game five. So Aiello, I'm going to go to you first. What does this mean for Milwaukee going forward? I think it means that they have to uh, prepare the white flag if they lose the game five in, in Milwaukee. No, I'm serious because th- this game was an atro- atrocity. They had Milwaukee had no one score over 20 points. Drew Holiday was the high man with 19. And when Mama DiChiati, DiChiate, okay, you guys remember him from Virginia. He's a great college player, terrible NBA player. When he comes in the game, like, you know, it's just over. So Mamadi DiChiate coming in, that was just, I'm like, yeah, this game's well, well over. And everyone's saying after that game three where the Bucs just basically steamrolled uh, Atlanta into oblivion, everyone's like, oh, okay, yeah, the Bucs got this. Like, there, there's going to be no problems here today, including me. I was, I was included in that because I did say on 101 last week that Atlanta can win the whole thing. They have a good chance. And I, myself included, felt like Plaxico Burst when he shot himself in the foot. And I go, well, that was stupid. But here we are at the game four in Atlanta at the Phillips Arena, and these Hawk fans are just, A, they're losing their minds with the countdown with, from Giannis with the free throw line. I think that's just, that, that's mean, but it's also, it's funny, I guess. But the, the Atlanta Hawks, they had, they had four guys, five, five guys actually, six guys I count here, I can't count today, six guys in double figures with 10 plus points between Gallinari, Cam Reddish, uh, Clint Capella had that circus behind the backboard shot that he had. It, it made no sense at all. And then Bogdanovich and Lou Will leading with 21 and 20 respectively. Then Kevin Herter, who's just been a gem in the entire playoffs. What a pickup he's been since they uh, picked him up in 2018. He added 15 points to the day. And you know what? I, I think this Hawks team with Trey Young being out. Now the Bucks did miss Giannis with that crazy knee injury and on the replay, when you just see his leg go backwards, it's like this. And I go, ooh, that's, that's not fun. Obviously, it wasn't. He somehow able to, was able to manage to walk off on his own power, which was mightily impressive. But 
Atlanta Hawks, man, even without Trey Young, just stomping on the wounded, the wounded deer. So look, I don't know. This is, this has gone back and forth with the Hawks all year. I mean, they went back and forth with Philadelphia and people were saying that Philly's going to just bully them in the paint. Now here they are versus Milwaukee. They, everyone thought they were down, but they're clearly not out. So now it's evened up at two going back to Bruce city. And you got to imagine that the Bucks they're going to try and do what they can to get Giannis back that knee that just, that just probably derailed the whole thing, especially if he doesn't play in game five, because game six goes back to Atlanta. And I don't think anyone wants to go back to Atlanta. So in, in the deficit that is, so I think Milwaukee's going to just do what they can to close this out. But man, that man, that the Giannis injury is just that killed. Yeah. And in, in my opinion, Milwaukee, no matter what they do, do what they can to win this out. I don't think they're going to have enough. I mean, you look, you, you look at last night's game and you think about this, this team is supposed to have a big three, right? You have a guy with a $177 million contract and a guy with a $160 million contract. And neither of them could step out, step up without Giannis there. I mean, it doesn't look good for this team. And I think this is, this is a playoff, an NBA playoffs uh, season that injuries have just been the key theme. And, and throughout the whole year, it's been a key theme, but especially during these playoffs. And at this point, it's going to come down to the teams that are the deepest and the teams that are able to find a way to have those role players, those bench players step up in the absence of their star players. And I think the Hawks are the epitome of that. You, you just mentioned some of those names in, in who we've seen step, step up, Kevin Herter, Bogdanovich, Williams, Lou Williams, I mean, I, uh, sorry, Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish was in his second game since February 21st. He had 12 points, two steals. He contained Middleton. Middleton missed set all seven of his three-point attempts. So, I, yeah, let's talk about Lou Williams for a second. Three-time six-man of the year, first playoff start of his career, puts up 21 points, five rebounds, eight assists, seven of nine from the field. He was thinking of retiring earlier this season, and then he's coming out and stepping up big time. He either scored or assisted on 15 of the Hawks' 43 made field goals in that game. So, quickly, I'll go to you on this. The Hawks have just look. Let's talk about the injuries that they've endured. I mean, you you look they they're without Trey Young. We don't know. Clint Capella went out after getting elbowed in the face. Don't know how serious that's going to be. Hopefully, hopefully that's just a black eye or something and not you know, facial, facial fracture, even though it looked pretty bad when he left, but this team has just been able to grind, grind it out. These, these no name players have become household names. Talk a little bit, talk a little bit about that and what you expect from this Hawks team going forward. Well, I think the one thing that really stood out last night was just the way that, and it really kind of, uh, it got, it caught me by surprise, but um, Trey Young just somehow isn't as important to the Hawks as the Greek freak is to the Bucks, which I think surprised everyone. Um, but even before Giannis went out with the injury last night, it's not like the Bucks were trending toward coming back in that game. They were down 10. They were down 13 at the half. And they came out flat. And the Hawks, without Trey Young, came out in full, all right, we're going to we're gonna have the next guy up. And they did it exactly that. Cam Reddish with a phenomenal performance uh, after spending months just off the court. Uh, Lemon Pepper Lou, this is why you trade for Lou Williams. Uh, you make that trade. When you send a guy in Rajon Rondo, who's, you know, playoff set, um, but Lou just can score. He can score 
when you need him to. And he did that just last night. Um, so, you know, the Hawks are getting so much, so much uh, activity in from their bench, from their role players Herder out there just balling right now, which is fantastic to see the, uh, the flaming red hair uh, <laughs> uh, just go off. And then um, Bogdanovich, another great performance. This Hawks team is deep. Uh, they have what the Bucks really lack in, in depth and um, and that next man up uh, playoff mantra because the Bucks didn't have a guy that stepped up last night, especially when Giannis went down. And the Hawks have five, six guys that have been doing that, uh, especially this past game. But even but when they had Trey Young on the court, it's not like it was completely Trey Young running the show, even if he was scoring the majority of the team's points. So, you know, Further down the line, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not a doctor, and obviously, I'm not inside the Bucks training facilities right now. But uh, Giannis's injury doesn't look as bad as Trey Young's. Um, just from the way that he was able to walk off the court, he was about to come back on the court until it was a 20 point uh, game, and he was like, and the team was like, all right, we're not coming back in this one with an injured Giannis. So. I, I don't know what he, his status is for game five. If he can't play game five, that's, that certainly hurts the box. Uh, we still don't know what Trey Young's going to be in game five, but um, you know, if I'm the Bucks right now, I'm a lot more concerned about the performance we put on before Giannis got injured than the Giannis injury itself. Right. Right. I mean, the Bucks looked questionable in, in a lot of those games with Giannis. So moving forward without him is, uh, it's not, I would not be confident if I'm a Milwaukee fan right now, but Ayala, what can the Bucks do at this point? What what is their option? I mean, you look at how they played last night, and and they couldn't score in the paint. They were settling for these wild threes. I think thirty nine total attempts, and they were shooting twenty point five percent from beyond the arc. Not what you want this late in the playoffs. So, what can the Bucks do going into this next game? To worst case scenario, they don't get Giannis back for the rest of this series what can they do to survive? And also I'll let you answer, what should Atlanta do without, let's assume they don't get Trey or maybe even if they don't get Clint Compella back, what are the two keys for these teams moving forward? I mean, for the Bucs, nothing. They, they can't, they literally can't do anything else. Okay. There's nothing they can do. I don't know what to say. Chris Middleton just takes panic threes every time down the court. I, I don't know how you, what do you, do you like throw like a pen at him and say, stop it? Like, just quit. I don't know. What do you do? I honestly don't know what to tell you that the panic threes are annoying. You have people like PJ Tucker who attempt to drive to the basket and just get annihilated by Clint Capella every time. And then you have Drew Holiday who, who's trying his best. You know, we'll give him the, the A, the E for effort, E for effort. Okay. Not gets the E for effort. He's trying, but it's, I don't know what else they could do. There's really nothing else. I just, I don't know, Mike, fire Mike Budenholzer? Is that like the only solution? I have no idea. But on a realistic note, I guess the one thing you want to try with Milwaukee, maybe you try if Giannis is able to come back in some capacity, do you try running him as a decoy at the center? I have no, I literally have no idea. Like, could that work maybe? Do you start Pat Connaughton? Do you start the 50-50 ball guy? Does, could that possibly help them? I, I mean, it might. But, I mean, they really don't have an answer. And for your Hawks question, Kelly, I think they're fine. They, they just pulled Onyeka Okungwu from the bench. He was just kind of sitting there doing, doing nothing, thinking about his Chino Hill days playing with uh, 
the Ball brothers. And now here he is playing with Trey Young. I, I think Trey, playing with Trey Young is a lot better than playing with Lonzo. But regardless, Onyeka Okungwu actually took a big step up. Now, if he has to start in place of Capella, I mean, that, that's a big shoes to fill. And we know that Capella, he's no superstar center, but what he does is it's hard to, to replicate, especially for such a young player like that. So it's, it's definitely going both ways here. Both teams are going to have to make some pretty heavy re- renovations to their game plans and to their lineups. I think Milwaukee is definitely going to try and run small. Maybe Atlanta goes, uh, stays with their traditional one, two, three, four, and five thing. Maybe run Lou Will at the point because clearly they have enough offense. I think we can all agree that the Hawks have enough depth. And I've been stressing this for a long time now that you need depth and skill players to win in the playoffs. And that is being uh, showed to us by the Atlanta Hawks and teams like the Knicks, the Bucks, uh, the Nets who all lack depth now, albeit there was maybe a couple injuries here and there for both of the teams, especially the Nets, as Thomas Quigley will tell you. You know, you're not going to win. I'm sorry. The, the Hawks just are the deep team. They have skill players that can do stuff off the dribble on their own. They don't need to be dependent on a point guard or some other player to do it for them. They can do everything. And I just think that's hard to guard for the, and for the Bucks, they're just having a nightmare doing it and it's getting into their head. So as far as adjustments, Milwaukee, I don't know what else they can do at this point. Budenholzer plays five, six people at most. And Chris Middleton with the panic threes is just killing them. And for Atlanta, they can just move and replace, do platoon stuff. You know, they're, they're going to be fine. They're, they're going to be very fine. I have no, no problem with Atlanta. I think they're going to, they'll be okay. At Milwaukee, we'll see. So it seems like the general consensus at this point is that the Hawks are going to be okay. Milwaukee hit that panic button. But I want to take a step back and, and talk about something a little more, a little more broad and, and about the league as a whole. And, and quickly, I'll go to you for this. We talked about this a little bit last episode, but I wanted to talk about it one more time because it continues to be more and more relevant. And that is the fact that we see, we're seeing so many major stars go down with injuries every night. It seems like there's a new star on the floor in pain. And, and Thomas, do you think this is something that it just comes as part of the game? Players are going to get injured. If you're putting your body on the line like that at a professional competitive level, you're going to get injured or the volume at which we saw players go down this year, is that is that on the league? Is that on the way they handled the offseason and the compacted schedule? And what can they do? How do they, how are they going to respond to this? What's How do they improve from there if it is on the league? Well, I definitely think there's a few things at play. Obviously, any playoffs where you're going full tilt, you know, during the regular season, you're not defending as much as you will in the playoffs because there's a lot less on the line. So people are, you know, putting their bodies on the line a lot more in the playoffs and that playoff injuries happen. They have had happened in the past, but we haven't really seen anything like this where like nine all-stars have been injured in the playoffs and they're really starting to affect the matchups that go on uh, down the stretch. So uh, I definitely think that some of it can be attributed to just the extremely compacted schedule that the NBA players had to deal with this year, 56 games in a very short span of time only beginning what two days before Christmas um and then now in the playoffs like I I've I've been noticing this I didn't know if it was um like you know in order to combat how late they got started because everything was pushed back like the playoffs and the bubble were in October um but 
you know, there's a game every other day. Teams are playing every other day. And there's really just very rarely more than one rest day. And that's a travel day as well. So that could also have a, a big factor in the way that, you know, these players have much less time to rest and they're traveling constantly and they're always moving. And it's, it's definitely a recipe for injuries in the playoffs. And it's really a shame that it's, it seems to only really be happening to the best players in the court. Um, but I guess they're also the ones who want it the most. They're the ones who are, you know, most involved in the, in the action. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a shame that, that NBA ownership felt the need to push this many games into such a short, short span. Uh, and I hope not, but it might end up with this season maybe not having an asterisk next to the champion, but maybe a footnote, as Bill Simmons likes to say, uh, next to the champion, just because of how many people have gone down uh, and how many games have been affected by it. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not really sure what the long-term effects of this uh, injury plague that we seem to have right now in the NBA. I mean, I, I know that if, you know, all going well, if, if, the, if the pandemic continues to trend in the way that it's going and there are cases that are still down and there's variants that don't show up and screw everything up again. Uh, hopefully the NBA will be at a normal schedule next season and this will just be a one-off thing that we never really have to worry about again. Um, but it, it might, you know, have a bit of an effect on, you know, CBA talks when that, when the time rolls around because uh, players, you know, they're not going to really have a lot of maybe enthusiasm to go to the, the bargaining table with the owners, if they feel like they've been slighted, um, if they feel like they've been, you know, stolen or have been robbed of a chance of it at a championship because uh, owners pushed this, this heavy, you know, day after day schedule. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if there's a little bit of animosity between owners and players when it comes to organizing the next collective bargaining agreement. So I say that that would maybe be the long-term effect as well as maybe the, way that we look at this playoffs, but um, because of the injuries, maybe with a footnote, but at the same time, 2012, that was a bad in, uh, playoffs for injuries. There's of course, Derek Rose um, got stopped and the, the, the bulls were playing at an, at an all time elite level, but really only remember only people remember that season for LeBron James winning his first title and the heat being a dynasty in the making. And we don't really remember the injuries too much anymore. So maybe that'll just be, a lot less under the radar than we think it is right now. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it. I think injuries are going to happen, but I do think this year was a little bit of an anomaly, and hopefully, it uses as a the, the league uses this as a learning experience and is able to give the players the rest and recovery that they need. Barring that injuries are going to happen, we just don't want to see them at this volume. But moving on from there, I want to talk about a player who has been healthy. He's played 130 more minutes than any other player in this postseason including 206 out of a possible 240 minutes in the conference finals. And that is Mr. Playoff P, Paul George, who somehow, somehow with his team facing elimination for the third time in these playoffs on the road in game five, Western Conference finals, down two starters, down three to one to a Suns team who, in my opinion, is much better than his LA Clippers team. Paul George somehow delivered 41 points, a new playoff career high, to go with 13 rebounds, six assists, and three steals, giving LA a 116-102 win. Right now, as we're recording this, the game is about to start. Game six, Phoenix still leads three to two. 
I can't wait to watch this game. And by the time you guys hear this episode, it'll be over. But I think there's still enough to talk about here that I really want. I quickly wanted to hear your opinions. And I guess by the time you hear this, you'll see which one of us uh, knows basketball a little bit better <laughs> than the others. So Ayelo, I'm going to give you a chance to speak first. Prediction of the game that is going that is about to start um, and what where you think this series is going. I think this is trending into a game seven. This Clippers team, I, I said this last week as well on one-on-one, uh, they're a hilariously built team. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, other than Paul George, everyone on this, this roster, as I look at it right now, is either from a trade with a bad team that they got uh, where they just gave away like a pick or they're victims of buyouts or they were scraps in a big trade for like a star player. So if you want to start with the buyouts, I guess, Reggie Jackson, you got Nicholas Batum, DeMarcus Cousins. That's three guys right there who were playing serious minutes in game uh, five. Boogie Cousins had 15 points. You know, he actually looked pretty good considering that he's just pretty much jumped from the top of Mount, uh, Mount Everest and, landed flat on his face and he's a non-existent NBA player at this point. He poured in 50 points in the playoff games. That was pretty good. And then you have, of course, Nicholas Batum, who has been their defensive, I guess, stopper, if you will. Not that he's like a magical defender or anything, but he's, he's played really well for them. He does all the little things like last game in game five, he only dropped two points, but eight rebounds. I mean, that's huge. And he was a positive in the plus minus with a plus 18. So clearly on the floor with him, their overall team defense just shot up. And then, of course, you have Reggie Jackson, who was just an absolute steal of a, of a signing from the buyout as well in Detroit. He poured in 23 points, had that nuclear fourth quarter with that crazy dunk where he scored eight. And then Paul George somehow is the center of all of this, who they got from free agency. And he dropped 41 and 13. So... Paul George right now is reminding me of in 2014 when him in the or 13, I think it was when him and the Pacers went to the conference finals versus LeBron James in Miami and Paul George had that one duck. I can still remember the Marv Albert call when he goes, here's George. He's got the step. Oh, Paul George over the Birdman. I can still remember that very vividly <laughs> in my memory. And if that was a good Marv impersonation, I hope you guys liked it. But we know that you, we know that he's capable of doing such things. And Paul George is a great player. We know he's he was an MVP candidate at one point. He was pretty much carrying the Indiana Pacers and his swan song over in Corn Country uh, versus the Toronto Raptors in 2017. Unfortunately, he he uh, got swept by LeBron James. But man, did he just he just carried them. 2016 it was he just carried them to a game seven versus Toronto in the first round it was just Paul George Island with George Hill trying to be Dennis Rodman because he had blonde hair and then Monte Ellis who was on the team but Paul George man he was just that good and we know that he's capable of being that good and he showed it again in game five in game six they're going back to the Staples Center so uh uh, Phoenix, you better staple your sneakers and your game plans together because <laughs> the Clippers are coming. And this is this is going to be one heck of a game six. I'm excited for that. All right, Quigley, what about you? You agree with Thomas? Are the Clippers coming in hot? I mean, the Clippers have nothing to lose here. They have absolutely nothing to lose. They're not up three one like they were last year. Um, you know, Paul George is playing out of his mind right now. Honestly, he 
Paul George deserves way more credit than the world gives him, especially the internet, NBA, Twitter. They love to rip him to shreds. And yeah, last year he completely deserved that because he gave himself the nickname Playoff P and then went on to score single digits in a game seven to drop a 3-1 series lead to the Denver Nuggets in the, like, in the conference finals. It's just something you can't do. Or not conference finals. It's conference semifinals. But you can't give yourself a nickname, first of all. Someone's got to give it to you. I don't think he realizes that, but whatever. This year, it's a whole different story. He's averaging over 27 points a game in the playoffs, nearly 10 boards a game, five and a half assists. Uh, and he's, been, he's literally upgraded his place since Kawhi's injury, which is all you can ask for for your, for your second-tier guy. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit. And the Clippers, you know, they're playing without his money, I think, because – the Suns, you know, up three one. You you go to you go to Phoenix. Somehow you're able to win that game on a, a phenomenal performance from Paul George, forty one points, and of course Reggie Jackson, who basically single handedly put the Suns away, as you probably remember, with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Suns took a, a double digit lead and shrunk it to two points, and then it seemed like it was going to go right down to the wire. And then two minutes later, it's a 12 point game and it's because of Reggie Jackson, because he's pouring in threes. So enough can't be said about Reggie Jackson's play either going home uh, to the Staples center. I'm, I'm not from LA. I don't really know the whole uh, situation out there, whether there's actually Clippers fans or whether it's just people in LA who aren't big (laughs) Lakers fans, but if you have a packed arena, you're going home, you just want a very tough game five, you're going to have the crowd on your side. It's, it's going to be tough to lose at home if you're the Clippers. And if you're the Suns, you just had a very easy, well, not easy, but you had the best opportunity you're going to have all series to beat a dejected down 3-1 team and clinch at home. And you've kind of you've just blown that opportunity. Now you have to go back up to Staples Center and win a game six so that you don't have to do face elimination in a game seven at home. Um, they've already taken out a team at the Staples Center in a game six this season. That was the Lakers in the first round. But this Clippers team is stronger than the Lakers were, and they have a lot of momentum going into this game. So I don't, I don't want to say that the Clippers are definitely going to win this game because I, I don't think that's true at all. I think it's going to be a really close game. I I think it really rides on, on Paul George. I think if he has another phenomenal 40 plus point game, even if it's 35 plus, if he's, if he's contributing a ton on the scoring because they need him to, then I like their chances a lot. And uh, before I, before I, I, I laud Paul George too much, a little bit, I need to address game two because that was just, Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> How do you miss both those free throws? As much as well as he's been playing, if the Clippers lose tonight, that will haunt him for the for the rest of at That's least this year. That I mean, it wouldn't be his full legacy, and he obviously has had a, a, a really good step up role since go, uh, since they lost Kawhi. But oh my God, the, the game was in their hands. It could be a three two lead. They could be going home to clinch at home in a game six, set it to the finals. But they're not. They're chasing, and that's just going to be a really sour taste left in their mouth if they can't get it done tonight. So I'll take Clippers in game six, literally anything could happen in game seven, literally anything. So I have no, no prediction for that. If it happens, I'll take Clippers tonight. 
Listen, I got secondhand embarrassment and like <laughs> from seeing him miss those free throws. So you, you mentioned not knowing any Clippers fans and I don't either. So I don't feel that bad saying this, but I don't see Reggie Jackson, a 30 year old, 31 year old playing on, on a veteran's minimum contract, continuing to play the way he's been playing. I don't think playoff pandemic, whatever piece <laughs> is going to keep this up for the rest of the series. I think it's awesome how well they've played. I think it's awesome that they've been able to face adversity down and, and come, come through in the clutch. I'm, they've been able to keep it tight with the Suns team, who in my opinion is arguably the best team left in, in the postseason. But for me, I think the Suns are going to figure it out. I think they're going to get the ball back to DeAndre Ayton, which I don't know why they stopped doing that. And I, I think they're going to come out and I think they're going to win the next two games. and Or not even game seven. I think they're going to win game six. And I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Suns for me. I think they're just over, overall a more talented team. And I think it's nice that the Clippers have been able to play well without Kawhi, but I don't think it's sustainable. And uh, one more question for both of you, kind of random. We haven't gotten to talk a lot about trades. And, you know, Thomas Aiello, you always bring up at least one. So I'm doing you a favor by bringing up one for you. And that was news out of Golden State where uh, they allegedly the Warriors are looking – to trade away uh, James Wiseman's second overall pick of the 2020 draft. He's 20 years old, still kind of figuring it out. And I really, I quickly want to hear each of your opinions for if they should trade him or if, if you think he should trade him, where you think the best option for him to land is. And Thomas Aiello, I'll start with you. Well, I appreciate the effort to bring up the trade. Uh, this one just kind of came out of left field. I honestly don't know why they're going to trade Wiseman. I've heard that there's one Golden State fan that I know. Go figure with this, that I know a Golden State fan. And he said, James Wiseman stinks. I go, okay, uh, whatever you say, dude. But have they not learned from, from Chris Weber all those years ago, trading the number one or two overall pick, whatever he was way back in 94? And Chris Weber materialized into an all-star for – quite a few seasons before a knee injury just basically cooked him. But with James Wiseman, I don't know why you'd want to trade him. They, they, they just drafted him to be the center and they've just been running with bums at center pretty much their entire dynasty thing with Kevon Looney. I mean, he's not very good. JaVale McGee wasn't very good when they picked him up initially. So I don't know why they would want to get rid of him. And I see a lot of um, like Toronto's Pascal Siakam stuff. I, I don't know if, that's a good idea. And Thomas Quigley and I were talking about this before the show. I, I don't know if you want to move Draymond at center. He's well, he's north of 30 years old. He has clearly declined on offense. He, he can't even shoot a layup at this point. Defensively, he's still very good, incredibly smart. But I don't know. Do you want to run that risk with Siakam at the four and then Draymond's at the five full time? I, I have no idea. I, I really don't know why this is a rumor either. I would keep Wiseman. But honestly, if they're going to do it, to get another star player to run the dynasty again. I mean, go for it, I, I guess. I don't know. It's just so confusing. Quigley, what about you? I mean, the Warriors need to win now if they're going to win because Steph's aging, plays well. He's been injured for the last two years, and that's definitely not going to help him with his durability going forward um, unless the, the rest is helping. But, you know, two bad legs is tough, you know, the very tough thing to go deep into your career with um, two massive leg injuries. So if I'm the Warriors, yeah, I got to focus on winning right now. And I think this trade would, could be really nice. If, if you get, if you can 
use a young player who, you know, obviously you want to start maybe looking to the future if you're the Warriors because, you know, you had your dynasty. It's not necessarily over yet because I feel like as soon as Klay Thompson's back in the lineup with Steph Curry, they're going to be lethal once again. They'll probably be like a mid-tier playoff team with those two alone. But if you go get out and get Pascal Siakam, you elevate your, yourself to maybe a top seed in the West and a very good chance at a title because you need someone in, the, in, the, in that front court who just can handle, you know, things that Draymond Green just can't handle anymore. He's, he's, he's aged out of his, his prime a little bit. He's not the scorer he used to be. Like you said, he's still a defensive threat. Um, and even in that lineup, they would be, you know, there'd be a very short lineup. But at the same time, once you have, you know, an offensive threat at the four position and you have those two lethal shooters, that's just a very good looking lineup when you go deep into a, a, a playoff run. And, you know, the Warriors right now, if they could put together that kind of lineup, even if you're sacrificing your seventh round or your number seven pick this year, plus James Wiseman, who had an all right first year, definitely shows some promise, but you're, 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 you're prioritizing now. And I think that's what they need to do because, you know, once Steph Curry retires, you're going to have to blow the whole thing up because he is such a huge part of that team that, you know, they're going to have to have a massive rebuild as soon as he's gone or as soon as he's declined, you got to take advantage of him still being able to play out of his mind right now. Bottom line is with this roster, with your aging superstars, your championship window still slightly open. I think going out and trading your young guns for, you know, I, another young, but already established player in Pascal Siakam, that's just a move that, that would really help you, uh, you know, establish, and continue that legacy, maybe get one more championship out of this dynasty. Yeah, I agree. I think there's two players that come to mind to me, and they're both on the Indiana Pacers, and that is Dante Sabanis and Miles Turner. And I think both those players could serve as options to come in and help that Warriors team, especially Miles Turner. He's only 25, six-year veteran, but I, I think he's very talented, very talented, six foot eleven, not as tall as some of the other big guys, but He's as good as any rim protector in the league and his shot blocking ability and scoring ability is, is I think would be very beneficial to Golden State's lineup. They would have to get a little creative. Wiseman's salary next season, 9.2 million. You might go to Andrew Wiggins, use him a sign and trade maybe involving Kelly Oubre. Uh, so if they can figure out some kind of negotiation, I think that's definitely a solid option, but it's early for that talk. That's going to be something we get very in de in detail and in depth about for the next coming episodes once this season wraps up i can't wait to get into that that's sometimes the most fun the part about talking about basketball is all the speculation but for now that's going to do it for this episode of pick and pod thomas and thomas it's been great as always i'm kelly bright pick and pod is production of wfub sports